0: Good day and welcome to Film Exploration with Ash Hari and during season 3 we're going to explore 70s movies and I thought it would be quite fitting to dedicate the next 3 movies to the horror genre considering Halloween is fast approaching. And this wasn't really hard to do as the 70s was a great decade for horror so today I shall kick things off with the first of the Halloween special and talk about the 1973 film The Exorcist. Written by William Peter Blatty and starring Ellen Burstyn, Max von Sydow, Jason Miller and Linda Blair. Think about a time when the concept of a possessed person wasn't even a thing. It was just a story you got told at a campfire or a night to scare other people, maybe your brother or sister. There was no point of reference to it on TV or cinema. Maybe in some extreme experimental European feature that never got to see the light of day in mainstream Hollywood. But it was something that hadn't really been explored before but it was a real thing. It was real but never talked about, never confirmed either by the Catholic society." Now, well, maybe not so much right now, but recently, Hollywood has been bleeding out horror movies left, right, and center. You see, people like to be scared. People like to go into a cinema for a cheap fright. This is what they're paying their money for, for that experience of being shit scared for a few seconds, that spike of adrenaline and confusion, and then turn into whoever is sat next to you to giggle for a bit and share that moment with a complete stranger at the cinema, someone you actually know, sharing that fright and then going on again until the end of the movie. do the exact same thing in roller coasters where you're waiting for that big drop you're riding and riding knowing it's about to come and it happens and you get that spike of adrenaline and then you go again and then you go again and you ride it and then you drop again and this same thing happens in horror movies. You know it's coming and that's what horror movies do. They invite expectations. Now, people, millennials, in fact, have the same expectations when watching a horror movie. They believe, or what I assume they believe, is that a horror movie should follow the same sort of technique, the same sort of frill pattern, to watch and watch until you get a cheap thrill, a spike of adrenaline. A film that follows this certain roller coaster analogy to a T is paranormal activity and there are loads of others that do the same thing they entertain this cheap thrill by using the music or the what's behind the door thing the way they position the cameras to provoke something popping out in that empty space the way they use mirrors to suggest that something might be behind them and they do their jobs they make people jump and it works and it sells tickets but I ask you this This momentary and very temporary experience of watching a film like this, like Paranormal Activity, is great. And it works. And it worked for me. But how many people can tell me the premise of the movie, the name of the sequel, the point of the sequel? Can anyone quote it? Can anyone name the actors? These things that I mentioned may not necessarily be relevant for making my point, but it touches the surface. It's made for someone in the moment, not for a legacy. And that's okay if you know that's the cause of this artwork. You see, you have two types of horror movies. Number one, those that give you the cheap frill, those scenes that make you jump, that's number one. And number two, you have these horror movies that take another stab at scaring you. There's nothing jumpy about it, it's just raw and real and you can't sleep at night. At least for a few days and then you realise it was just a movie. Take it from me, a horror film that isn't trying to be a horror film are the best kind of horror films to watch. The sleepless nights, the images in your head, your mind making all this fictitious stuff take over your mind and convince you that it's possible, it's real, it's your reality. Those thoughts that make you look twice in the mirror or turn around when you're walking alone in the dark. This is what you should experience. That, if anything, is what you should be paying your money for. But it's up to you. Some indulge in the paranormal paranormal activity and some prefer not to sleep at night because it provokes them. It pulls on their curiosity to dare a movie to try and even think about making them not sleep at night. Now, Hollywood has expanded now where real horror, true horror, has become more of a drama than a slasher movie like Scream or Halloween. Now, horror movies have taken certain angles now, and and we've really evolved in that genre through the ages when using handheld footage like Blair Witch Project, using gore in films like Saw, and the hybrid has gone from horror to psychological thriller, to gore fest, to slasher, to sci-fi, to supernatural, to monster. It offers many paths to this genre, but at the end of the day... It either makes you jump or you don't sleep at night for a few nights. That's it. And if it does one of those things, it's a good horror. And if it does the latter, it's one that can be explored and leave a legacy and, and potentially be a great movie. And it's one that can be revisited and still scare you. The cheap frills are really hard to revisit. Your guard is up. You know what to expect. It's a one-hit wonder, which is why horror films generally have a lot of sequels. They use the same characters and introduce different scaring techniques. The art of making someone scared is not to make them jump because otherwise the fear is gone within minutes, maybe even seconds. What real fear is, is that thought in your head that lingers on you or in you for days to come. The thing that doesn't make you sleep. And that's where I come in with The Exorcist. It's been called the scariest film of all time, even today. The budget for this film was $11 million. That was a lot for a film in the 70s. It grossed $8 million on its first weekend. Globally, it made $232 million globally around the world. If you adjust that for inflation... This movie would be the highest grossing Warner Brothers movie ever made, to date, as of today. And not only that, it would be the highest grossing R-rated movie ever made, to date. This is yet another example of a film that people know are aware of some scenes and images from the posters or pop culture, but haven't experienced it to its max. Many can identify the famous image of the man stood outside the eerie lamppost looking at the house, a reference to Rennie Magritte's painting Empire of Light. But what is really strange about this film is that today expectations are held higher than curiosity. And what I mean by that is, is just people have decided not to watch this film from what they've heard. This film came out 47 years ago. It's still a classic. It's still talked about. No one has ever done a thing like this before. It was the first movie to even attempt... This subgenre of horror. I mean, it was banned in many countries. It It was banned in the UK. I bet you anything, if a movie was banned in the UK, right now, you know what would happen. People would run to the cinemas when the day it got legalized, if it ever did. And that's exactly what happened with The Exorcist. Or you just watch it illegally, which is again what people did with The Exorcist. That's exactly what happened with The Human Centipede. It's exactly what happened with Cannibal Holocaust. In fact, when this movie was banned in the UK, back in the 70s, there was actually a minibus that was spreading round, saying that they could do a tour of people who wanted to watch the movie to go back to the driver's house and watch the movie. And people did that, and whoever did that idea made loads of money, apparently. That was a cool time. The film had the reputation for a long time for being the only horror movie to ever be nominated for an Oscar for Best Picture. I mean... Technically I'm lying because three years later Jaws was nominated and officially, according to, you know, experts, Jaws is still classified as a horror movie. So between you and me, I mean there are out you know, there are six movies that got nominated uh for best film, which were The Exorcist, Jaws, Silence of the Lambs, Sixth Sense, Black Swan, and Get Out. Now, Out of the six, only The Exorcist is really a horror in my eyes. Jaws is a monster movie. Silence of the Lambs is the only one that actually won the award, honouring it, making it the only horror movie to win Best Film. But Silence of the Lambs and Black Swan are more of a psychological thriller than horror. And Get Out was honestly, well, my opinion has been quite evident if you guys know me and followed my rant three years ago, but I just don't think that film deserved a nomination, just in heat of emotion did the movie get nominated. And that's all I'm going to say about that, but... Sixth Sense, again, psychological thriller, yes, it was, but it's probably the closest thing to horror out of the other five. This just demonstrates that in a 95 year cycle of moving pictures, there's only been officially six movies that have been nominated for this genre. That's nominated, not one. So wait, that's that's fil- five films get nominated for the award every year. So that's every year that I, they get nominated, every year for. No, five, no, I'm trying to do some math here, 95 years. So that's 95 times five. So that's. 475 films so out of 475 films six of them were officially horrors which means Calculated. that's 1.2 percent of films nominated were classified as horrors in the history of the oscars and the exorcist was the first one to have that on in my opinion And if you drop the other five, because I don't think they're horrors, that means that less than 0.21% of films ever nominated for Best Picture was a horror movie. That is ridiculous. Now, out of all that being said, this film should be watched and experienced only if you have the stomach for it and only if you want to. But here's here's another problem with trying to watch classics, let alone old movies. Because believe you me, nowadays, the media influences what people watch nowadays. It isn't based on option. It's why certain films on your Netflix appear first, based on your search history, on your IMDb, on your Prime account, or what you like on social media. Even fake news even advertises this as well. I was reading the other day that Enola Holmes, which me and my girlfriend watched the other day. Um, it was all right. I wasn't like a big fan of it, but the hype was massive and it still is after the movies come out now. Anyway, um, and I love Millie Bobby Brown. I love her in Stranger Things. Um, but there was a post on Netflix, and it wasn't the first post I saw said this. It said it was the highest grossing Netflix movie ever. And it was on Facebook, and I saw it on Instagram, and it just kept popping up. And I was like, that can't be right. It's only been out for like a week or so. How can it have grossed that much money in a week? So I had a look about it. I had a look. I had a look at all the other films that had uh, gross money. I had a look at Chris Hemsworth film, Will Smith's film about the, um, the elves and stuff. And it was absolute bullshit. Anola Holmes had not, he's made a, a lot of money, but it hasn't made near enough as money as the other six films that have been, you know, loads of other films have made more money than it. It was just another piece of spam which is what you should call stuff like this, sugar-coated spam, because they, they give you a nice picture of it. They, write, they, they give you like a misleading headline, which further influences people to watch movies. It's a very slippery slope we are doing here. And it's why there is a certain formula that people should not revisit old movies because they already know most people are not going to go and watch a film made in the 70s, let alone the 60s, or anything before that. So their best hope is films that are about to be released with a star that everyone knows Millie Bobby Brown and Ola Holmes with a topic everyone is aware of Sherlock Holmes so be careful with what you click on social media but I don't need you to I don't need to tell you that just watch the social dilemma but that thing just tells you everything that you really know so But look, rant over. But you see, my whole purpose of this podcast is to allow people to make their own minds up and maybe tip the scales a bit and reveal that movies being made now are quite insulting to our intelligence. And in terms of the genius that was coming out in the 70s and even before that, it was just a good history lesson on how we've got to where we are now. Now, I applaud you to watch this film, you know, and it's really hard to watch a film that isn't trying to be political now. When the Christopher Nolans and Quentin Tarantinos and the Spielbergs die out, God help us, Jesus Christ. And speaking of Jesus Christ, let's talk about The Exorcist, because that's what we're here for. So, The Exorcist. A film talked about everywhere for all the wrong reasons, but doesn't necessarily mean that's a bad thing. So, nine people died during the making of this film. Now, relatives of the actors, actors themselves, and night guard amongst others. Now, this wasn't used to publicize the movie, although if it was made now, that flipping memoriam of the nine people that died would be the trailer for the movie on social media, but that's that. Anyways it wasn't until a few years later that people started talking about this strange coincidence this strange coincidence however you see it could probably go one of two ways now if you look at it as you may but i mean the filming of this movie lasted a long time and there was a lot of people working on this movie so you factor in those two components then it's likely that someone associated with this movie in this timeline would die or you could look at it the other way A film about exism, a practice that exists in today's world. That happens in a world we live in right now, in 2020, and even far back as 1930. A practice that Catholics reject but rely on as a last resort. A practice that its sole purpose is to rid the possessed body of an unearthly being, more specifically a demon, a devil, Lucifer, or in this case, Pazuzu. Not mentioned in the film, but in the book and on the script. A demon of the winds, ancient legend says, a force not to be reckoned with. And in this movie, this demon possesses a 12-year-old girl, Reagan, daughter of a Hollywood actress who has no idea what's happening to her beloved child. You see, a great thing about the film is we act side by side with the mother. It's dramatic irony. We know as much as she does. We don't know what's going on with this girl. Why is she acting like this? Now, back in the 70s, they hadn't a clue what the hell an exorcism was. If you watch that film today, you've got some knowledge, you know, thanks to pop culture or just being alive in this generation about what possession is or the exorcism is. But when this film came out in 1973, Jesus, this was uncharted territory. She takes her to the doctors who thinks it's a brain lesion and she does all the steps any other parents would and this is what makes this film quite scary. It's a drama to discover an illness and that's all it is. It's actually set up quite nicely to be a nice, you know, a dramatic tearjerker but because of the name and because of the hype of this movie back in the 70s people knew something evil was lurking around in the narrative of this movie and the way and the way the film explores this is absolutely genius. It doesn't go for the cheap frills, it goes for raw performances and reality storylines to further the character and to really understand what is going on here that being said though i mean you do have your occasional moments like the infamous spider walk which happens out of nowhere remember earlier i was talking about camera positions in certain ways to suggest something is going to pop out or the music drop you know just drops significantly and then something scary is going to happen well there are no tricks in this movie no one is meeting your expectations in this movie and you have no idea when you're going to be scared, or you have no idea when you might jump. The movie is in charge and it's just showing you the reality of it. The spider walk is terrifying. I mean, I watched this last week and I completely forgot about that scene and it scared the shit out of me. And, and you know, and all it is is Reagan, this 12 year old girl who's possessed at the moment, is walking backwards down the stairs in this creepy spider fashion. And it happens from nowhere. It's creepy as hell. I mean the most controversial scenes in the movie are not even jumpy they're more psychological like the vandalisms of the Jesus Christ statue the devil using the crucifixion to masturbate these really bold choices by the directors to do a movie like this in the 70s and it does stay true to the novel in fact in the movie they really dumb these scenes down from how it was described in the novel and this sort of gives you an idea of how far this movie will go to reach an authentic point of storytelling there's no second thoughts on what audiences will think or what the public will think about them making this disgusting movie it's just about staying true to this concept of the narrative and also the exploration in discovery about this idea of possession and also the idea of what an exorcism is now with the scenes where she's having the exorcism performed on her which is a total you know it's a screen time of nine minutes it's actually quite long it's something that you know hadn't been explored before according to the movie the catholic church would deny all actions of an exorcism but in rare cases they would have to get permission to do so by a leading priest assigned by the pope today i think And this is what I've read. Only the Pope would be the only one to grant an official exorcism on someone under extreme circumstances. Now, in the movie, we learn that she's able to speak backwards. She can speak Latin, no information about the priest that only he would know. She can physically move the bed, her head 360 degrees. And these, believe it or not, are real life attributes to some of the cases that the writer discovered, which inspired him to write the novel in the first place. And it's a subject most which never existed, but it makes for a very interesting history lesson when watching a movie. And that's why it turns out to be a great film, why it's listed as one of the greatest American movies ever made. It's also teaching the audiences that these are real life occurrences that are actually happening in the shadows of the real world. And it's eerie to know that this could very well be a reality. The idea of an exorcism indicates that the possibility or that there is a possibility of gods and demons and the fact is that they might be real and the possibility is just too much to fathom and this is exactly what the movie is suggesting. I'll quickly finish on the opening scene in Iraq, which opens to no musical score. It's just done with a skeleton crew and Max von Sydow. In fact, because of America having no diplomatic relations with Iraq in the 70s, the whole crew that went out there was British. And the reason I'm talking about this opening scene is it really sets the scene for The Exorcist, of course, because it's at the start, but not just because of that. I mean, it's not in America. It's in a desert. It's not even revisited until the end of the movie when we see him again in that iconic shot. And it just shows the level of filmmaking that was done in this movie. The opening really brings that culture of Iraq in. In the first 20 minutes you really know iraq in the first 20 minutes you know the country just from the opening scene showing us the streets the people the weather the landscape it shows us a place that we're not used to and we have this priest who later performs the exorcism at the exorcism at the end of the movie and in this opening scene he discovers the object this coin and this is a clue to what's going to happen later and it really establishes to the audience that this thing is not something we have heard of and it's It's clever that they sort of symbolically do this by introducing us to a place that we've no idea about, about their background or people or food or anything. And it's just as alien as it is to us about um, the, you know, the rituals of exorcism. Um, And it keeps us like tourists to observe the movie later on. And, the thing that it does really well is it just juxtaposes it with the next scene, which brings us right back to, uh, you know, to America, to, to something familiar with the autumn leaves of Reagan being a normal 12 year old girl with kids, you know, trick or treating on at Halloween. And then they slowly delve into this mystery of what is happening to this little girl. I mean for a long time the critical community was saying this was the scariest movie ever made then it was The Shining then they made then they moved on to like the 1982's The Thing before The Exorcist it was Psycho and Jaws for a while it was Night of the Living Dead before that and then it was The Fly then War of the Worlds before Frankenstein it was Nosferatu then Dracula so things change things adapt and they you know they adapt all the time and it's a matter of opinion and it's the perspective of of the time that people choose to see what's scary and what's not all I'm saying is that almost half a half a century later, this film is still talked about. It's still considered one of the greatest horror movies ever made. It's technically, if you adjust the inflation again, the ninth most popular film of all time. And that includes all the Marvel films, all the dinosaur films, all the Star Wars film, every single film that's come out. And there is a reason for that. And if you dare, you should go on Amazon, you should go to HMV, you should go to your local store or wherever it is you shop for DVDs if you do that anymore. And treat yourself this Halloween with this 1973 classic, and it won't disappoint in terms of fear factor. And that's all I have time for with The Exorcist. It's undoubtedly a classic. We all know that, even if we haven't seen it. Started this uh, you know, this amazing trend of demonic children, or just children being the objects of chills and scares. 70 had a few of them with The Omen, then Carrie, then Rosemary's Baby. So a trend that has certainly carried into films like Insidious and The Ring and many others. But listen, enjoy your Halloween and make sure to indulge in a very, very scary film. You can find me on Spotify, iTunes, and Google. Please rate, review, on or, or comment on any of my podcasts, or this one, or any of my previous ones. And you can find me on Instagram, Film Exploration AH, or lowercase or one word. And thank you again for listening to Film Exploration with Ash Horry, and happy Halloween. Unless you're not listening to this near Halloween, then I just say, good day.